Do please take a seat. And if you've got uh, that passage that we've just heard read open in front of you, that would be a great uh, help to me. We're going to be looking at it over the next uh, few moments. And shall we pray as we uh, do so? Lord Solomon's prayer was that you would give him a, a hearing heart, literally a heart that hears your words and a heart that obeys. And Lord, that is our prayer this morning. We pray that as your servants, we would hear your word to us, and more than that, we would obey it. Uh, For your son's sake, we pray. Amen. If you could be granted one wish, what would it be, I wonder? Just one wish, what would it be? Uh, If you tap that uh, question into Google, you get a range of quite interesting answers. there was uh, one person's answer was an all-expenses-paid trip to uh, Vegas. Might be appealing for some, don't know. Uh, somebody else said they would wish for a secure pension. Maybe that's a bit more, uh, more likely for some of you. Uh, the parents among you might agree with this one, peace and quiet. That was uh, one of the wishes. Uh, at the more profound end, uh, there were quite a few people asking to know what life is all about. Why are we here for? What, what are we doing here? Where is life going? What is it all about? It's an interesting question, isn't it? And I I would encourage you to ask it of yourself. Because the answer that we give to it will reveal something of our hearts and where we're at, really. Uh, There's probably no other question, almost, that gives us such an insight into our values. What makes us tick? What keeps us going? What gets us out of bed in the morning? It reveals our hearts in a way that few other questions, I think, can. Uh, If you were with us last week, uh, you would have uh, seen how Solomon was anointed the the king of Israel following uh, the demise of his father David. As David went old and uh, was coming to the end of his years, Solomon, his son, uh, was appointed. And by the start of chapter 3, the chapter we're going to be in this morning, we have seen that he has established his rule. He's removed all the internal opposition, all the uh, guys who didn't want him on the throne. He's got rid of all those. Uh, He's made a slightly dubious um, political alliance. He's married an Egyptian princess. You can see that in verse 1 of chapter 3. Things look good on the surface, and yet already there are some hints that all is not quite well. Uh, He's married to a foreigner, which is ultimately going to lead him to compromise. Spoiler there for you to, uh, to consider. Uh, the writer tells us that they are sacrificing still and worshipping at the high places. These places that God had said, no, I want you to worship in one central place. They're not doing it. There's already hints that God's people are going off the rails. And yet, despite all of that, despite the fact there are some good things, and yet there's quite a lot that really isn't good, God, in his mercy and grace comes to Solomon and invites him to make a request. And of all that Solomon might have asked for, he asks for wisdom. Literally, the the, the word is, it's a hearing or a discerning heart, a heart uh, that can hear and understand God's law. There's a lot here. We're going to um, divide it into two. We're going to look first at Solomon's prayer and then look at how his wisdom was proved or demonstrated. So let's uh, look first at uh, the Solomon's prayer for wisdom from verse uh, 4 and onwards. Uh, I don't know what your picture of um, 
God is like, but for many people it seems like they visualise God as a sort of bit like a headmaster or a sort of very strict Victorian father. You know, he keeps us at arm's length, he's very strict, he uh, occasionally sort of is, is begrudgingly gives us something that might make life better. But essentially he's only interested in us keeping his rules and keeping our distance. And that is not the picture that we have of God in these verses. The whole underpinning, I suppose, of the first half of this chapter is one of God's generosity and his grace. Uh, In response to uh, Solomon's uh, worship, uh, verse 5, we see that the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and and he gives him this wonderfully open-ended offer. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Despite Solomon's marriage to a foreigner, somebody who's outside the people of God, despite the fact that he's still sacrificing at these high places, God graciously blesses him with what his heart desires. Reminds us, doesn't it, of the Lord Jesus. Jesus spoke of the Heavenly Father who encourages us to approach him with our desires and our needs. In fact, you could say that the whole story of the Bible is of a God who encourages us to come to him and has made a way for that to be possible. Uh, He has given us abundantly more than we could ask or deserve. He lures us in by his grace. We might want to put it like that. Uh, For his part, Solomon uh, doesn't launch into his prayer with a greedy list of requests. I don't know about you, but if I was given that uh, offer, I would just launch him with all kinds of things that I'd want. And yet he doesn't do that. He starts by looking back at God's actions in the past. You see verses uh, 6 and 7. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you, and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Uh, Solomon looks back and he sees that God has been faithful to his promise, his promise to to David and his covenant. We can read that in uh, 2 Samuel 7. Uh, And he can say that because he knows that he, as David's son, is sitting on the throne. And yet more than that... Solomon looks back and he knows that God has been faithful to an even older promise. Right back in Genesis, God made a wonderful promise to Abraham that his descendants would be more numerous than any could count. And yet we see that he recognises that. Verse 8, your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. The opening of Solomon's prayer, therefore, is a declaration of God's faithfulness to his people and to his word through years and years. Whatever they've gone through, whatever struggles they have faced, God has been faithful to his promise. Whatever promise God has made, he has kept it. From the promise right back to Abraham, the promise to deliver his people from exile, from uh, in Egypt, the promise that Jesus would not just die, but he would rise again. The promise that he has ascended and one day will return again. All these promises have been made and every single one of them will come to fulfilment. God is not like some parent or teacher who makes a promise that has, they have no intention of keeping, almost have a finger, fingers crossed behind their back with no intention of keeping it. That's not God. God's hands are open. He, when he makes a promise, he promises that he will fulfill it. And his faithfulness is the basis for confident prayer. We can come to him because we know that he is faithful 
When he says that he will do something, he will do it. And Solomon comes to him in uh, trust and obedience. Uh, In response to such an appreciation of God's character, it's no wonder, is it, that Solomon shows such humility. We read on in verse uh, 7 and 9. Now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people that you have chosen. Solomon acknowledges, doesn't he, that the reason that he is on the throne at all is because of God's sovereign power. It's not through political alliances or anything like that. Ultimately, it is because God has put him there. He is there because of God's sovereign power. And he's almost like, he compares himself to being like a little child because he has so little experience compared to uh, the one he worships and serves. Uh, Humility is not a quality associated with uh, young men, is it? Especially young men with uh, great wealth and power. And yet we see it in Solomon. He is the one who displays it. Perhaps even more surprising than his humility is that the object of his prayer is not actually himself. He does ask for wisdom for himself. But he asks it for the sake of God's people. Look uh, with me at verse 9. He says, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? He doesn't pray for his own success or his own prosperity. He could have done, I suppose. And I guess we could almost say that his ruling well is linked up with that. But the writer makes it clear that the focus of Solomon's prayer was not himself, not his prosperity, not his success, not his legacy, his heritage, that future generations would think of him. But it is for the sake of God's people. This is worth pausing and considering what that might mean for us. We're not kings, are we? None of us are kings, as far as I know. We're not rulers over God's people in the way that Solomon was. Of course we're not. We are subjects of the great king, our Lord Jesus, as we've been thinking about already this morning. And yet, surely, the anxiety, the holy anxiety that dominated Solomon's thoughts should, in some sense, be shared by us, should it not? This holy anxiety for God's people, for the sake of God's people, wherever they may be, whether it's in Norwich, whether it's in this country, whether it's further afield, many uh, shores away, we should be concerned, shouldn't we, about the welfare of God's people, how they're doing for the sake of the gospel in uh, wherever they may be. Far above whatever our own success might be or whatever our own security should be, we should care about other people that God cares about, his people. We can do that in lots of different ways, can't we? We've already had opportunities to, to share the gospel, to bless people. We can do that by praying. We're thinking about prayer focus this week. We can pray for the people of God as they go about their work and for the success of God's work. But that is one way in which we can think about uh, sharing the anxiety, the burden of praying for God's people and blessing God's people as Solomon does. Uh, The outcome of Solomon's prayer is that God was pleased with his request. Look down with me at verse 10. Uh, The writer says, The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. 
Uh, God was pleased, and not only was he pleased, but he promised to give Solomon uh, not only the wisdom that he'd asked for, but the wealth and the honour that he hadn't. Uh, We need to be careful here. God is not uh, like a slot machine where we sort of put in uh, a few pennies in the right order and we get uh, out of it what we want. That's not, I think, what the writer is trying to get across. But he is trying to emphasise that the outcome of Solomon's prayer, I think, was God's pleasure and his delight. And that, in turn, led God to, uh, to, to bring forth more blessing. Uh, I'm sure many of you will have seen uh, the film Chariots of Fire. It came out quite a few years ago now. But there's a famous scene, isn't it, in, somewhere in the middle of the film, where Eric Little, the main character, who's the, the missionary athlete, is walking across a heath. And he's explaining what, what drives him what makes him tick. Why, why is he, he running? Why is he training so hard for these Olympics? And he turns around, he says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When I run, I feel God's pleasure. Nobody knows if he ever really said it or whether it was a, just a nice line that was scripted by some script writer. Who knows? But it doesn't matter. That surely is the goal of prayer. In fact, more than that, it's not just the goal of prayer. That is the goal of the Christian life, is it not? To bring God pleasure and to bring him his praise. When we bring God pleasure and when we glorify him, surely that is the goal of why we're here. What else are we here for if not to bring God pleasure in everything that we do, whether it's running, as it was for Eric Little, whether it's being an accountant, whether it's working in a shop, whether it's working in a factory, whether it's bringing up children, whether it's telling people about Jesus, everything is there to give God pleasure and to give God praise. God says, ask for whatever you want me to give you, to Solomon. And we can ask God trusting in his grace, trusting in his faithfulness to give us what we need and what we know will bless him. We can acknowledge his greatness. We do it for the sake of his people and ultimately for the pleasure of God's heart. What's stopping us coming to God and asking for his pleasure and delighting to give him praise? That's the uh, first half of our passage, uh, Solomon's Prayer. Let's look at how um, Solomon's wisdom is proved, if we might, in the uh, second half of the passage. Solomon has been uh, praying for wisdom, and his prayer has been answered. We've just seen that, haven't we? Uh, And it's no surprise that uh, having given that uh, gift to Solomon, God gives him an opportunity to to show that he has it. And we have one of the most famous stories in the Bible here. I'm sure you can remember, uh, if you were in Sunday school reading this one, I certainly can. Uh, As was fairly common, Solomon as the king is presented with this um, sort of dispute, I suppose we could put it, to, uh, to resolve. Uh, essentially what's happened is two, two working women are living together in a house. Both of them have had children around about the same time. Tragically, one of the women accidentally smothers her child in the night, yet switches her dead son with her colleague's child while uh, she's sleeping. Both the women are claiming this child as their own. There's no witnesses to provide any evidence to adjudicate in any uh, any way. One word against another. What is Solomon the king to do? Well, fortunately for Solomon, he has a knowledge of maternal instincts and human nature, and that gives him a, uh, a key. 
he has a, a dramatic solution. He proposes to slice the child in half. Extraordinary, isn't it? And give an equal share to each woman. When the pro- proposal is, uh, is put forward, the real mother is revealed. As she is prepared to do anything, to let her rival have the child, if only it would survive. Whereas the other one is uh, rather callous and is quite happy with his solution. And so the case is settled. It's an intriguing story, isn't it? It's a bit of a puzzle. Perhaps some of you were wondering what I was going to do with it when uh, presented with that this morning. Uh, perhaps you might have seen the news this week about that uh, case of switched babies in South Africa. I don't think this is a model for what they should be doing, necessarily. Well, let's think first about what it might have meant for the original uh, hearers, the original readers of uh, Kings, and then from that we'll try and think through what it might mean for us. Well, I think uh, uh, verse 28 shows us what it might mean for the original hearers. Do look with me, if you will, right at the end of our chapter, verse 28. Uh, The writer says, When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe, because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. Uh, When the judgment was reported throughout all Israel, as of course it would be, uh, the people are in awe of this king, Solomon. Why? Because they can see that he has wisdom from God. It's been demonstrated. There's no other way he could have made such a decision that would have uh, produced such a wonderful outcome that the situation was restored. Only with God's help could that happen. Uh, And thus we see that the prayer of Solomon has been fulfilled, and we see also that he is the right person to be leading. Uh, The succession, as it were, is secure, just as uh, chapter 2 had promised that it would be. I think that's what it means for the original readers. It shows that Solomon has, indeed, the wisdom that God gave him, and that succession is secured. What about us? What does it uh, mean to us? We don't are not in the same situation as Israel. How on earth can we uh, think about this? Uh, Well, I'd be grateful if you could turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, That is found on page 696. If you would uh, turn with me, that would be very, very helpful. Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, Those of you who have been in the evening congregation may well remember looking at this a few months ago. But uh, Isaiah gives us here this remarkable portrait of, uh, of this great messianic king, this promised king who is going to come and uh, be the ruler of his people. Uh, there's lots in, in this chapter that we might dwell on and it would be very profitable too, but we, uh, let me focus particularly on verse 2 of chapter 11. Isaiah says this about this future king. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Uh, It's a wonderful picture here. Isaiah says that on this future king will be the spirit of the Lord in all fullness, and it will give him wisdom, uh, understanding, knowledge. He will be able to make judgments that are perfect, uh, 
They are perfectly true. They're perfectly just in a way that no other judge or king could possibly make them. Uh, They will be judgments that will bless the poor and the dispossessed, those people that are close to God's heart. Uh, They will spell disaster for the wicked and the oppressed. And wonderfully for us, the New Testament reveals that this king that Isaiah spoke of all those years before is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came as the fulfilment of these promises. Uh, He is God's wisdom incarnate. He was one who taught as no one had ever taught before or ever will. Uh, He was one who loved as none have ever loved or ever will. He was one who died as one who never had before and who never will. He died a saving death for God's people that defied human understanding and continues to defy it. And one day he will return to judge with wisdom and humanity and truth that no other could do. The wisdom of Solomon demonstrated in our passage through this obscure story of slicing babies in half directs our hearts to the perfect king, the wise king, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He reigns supreme over creation with a wisdom and a righteousness that even exceeds Solomon in all his wisdom. Wisdom unsearchable, as we were singing right at the start. That is the Lord Jesus. This is our God. Wisdom incarnate. In his first letter to Corinthians, Paul spoke of the Greeks that seek wisdom. These people who were seeking worldly wisdom by which to live. Uh, wisdom that uh, tickled their hearts, that, uh, that appealed to them to unlock the secrets of life. The search of the Greeks is one that is repeated countless times over in our world today. Uh, many people are seeking the answer to human sin, our rebellion against God, our failure as uh, humanity. And they think that the answer is found in intellectual achievement or in some kind of cultural progress. If we can just uh, get better, if we can just keep making advances, another discovery, then somehow we will stumble upon something that will seem to make everything right. Whether it's politics in, uh, in, in elections, whether it's uh, through the arts, whether it's through uh, discoveries of science and health, if we can just keep making more discoveries and keep trusting in human wisdom, eventually we will get to the answer. And yet, the message of Solomon, the message of the greater Solomon, the Lord Jesus, and the message throughout the ages is that has never been the case. That true wisdom is not found in human achievement, it's not found in... uh, those things, as as good as they may be of themselves, it is found in God alone. Supremely, it's found in the self-giving of God. Paul said that uh, the wisdom of the cross is foolishness. It is found in the God who, in his Son, has made a way for you and I to be reconciled to him. That is wisdom. It's a wisdom the world has never worked out, and it never will do. For all its searchings, the world has never stumbled across the key to unlock the wisdom of God. It never will. It never has. The wisdom of God is found in the Lord Jesus. He is the means of life. He is the means of forgiveness. He is wisdom incarnate. 
He's wisdom crucified. He's wisdom resurrected. He is wisdom ascended. And one day he will return to prove that wisdom once and for all. If we would seek wisdom in a confused world, as many of us are doing so, the answer is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is wisdom, wisdom incarnate. Seek his forgiveness, seek his grace. He is the one who can answer the hunger of our hearts for meaning. He can answer that question that we put to at the start. What is life all about? What is our one wish? It must be to come to him. He is the one who is wisdom. Ultimately, wisdom lies in the Lord Jesus and him crucified. Uh, If you could be granted one wish, what would you have said at the start? Solomon's reply to that question was to ask for wisdom. Wisdom in order that he might rule well, he might bless God's people and please God's heart. And in doing so, he directs our hearts to the perfect king, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in the wisdom of God has made a way for us to know him and to trust him and to uh, love him. And one day he will return to judge the world in perfect wisdom. Praise God. He is faithful to his promise, just as he was to Solomon. He is faithful today, and he one day will return to rule and to reign for his pleasure and for his glory. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you that, like Solomon, we approach you and we know that you are faithful. You are always faithful to your promises and you are always wise and you have proved that in coming, in dying for us. And we look forward to the day when you will return to rule and to reign. And we pray that you would help us to love your people and to want to please your name. Give us discerning hearts, we pray, that we might know wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, and serve him as our King forever and ever. Amen.